This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. How are you doing today? If you watched my live stream this morning at 7 a.m., I introduced an article written by the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. And I was going to talk to Greg Dickerson about this because of my experts, he's the builder. He is the guy that looks at land and thinks about the opportunities. And I wanted to share with him what I read in the article because he hasn't seen it just yet. And really ask, what does it mean for you and I in the next three videos? How are you doing this morning, Greg? Doing great, Michael. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. Although I got to tell you, I'm a little nervous for, you know, homeowners buying affordable homes. So let me share with you what I read in the article and and really ask what it would mean to a builder, right? Someone like Mm -hmm. you who looks at opportunities ground up and and, uh, looks to generate some some profit. So uh, Wall Street Journal yesterday basically published an article giving some examples where D.R. Horton and Lennar, right, both public builders uh, and the like, have recently started testing the idea of building communities. Uh, The one that was referenced was D.R. Horton in Conroy, Texas, 124 homes. Uh, D.R. Horton rented them out, and then they went to market to sell them. And they were selling to hedge funds and Wall Street and all these deep pocket investors. Because now 124 homes is kind of like 124 unit apartment building, right? It's all in one area. It's got scale. And what they found is their profit margin, right? Because again, DR Horton is a builder and they're they're not a charity. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. profit margin was 50% higher because what happened is they got into a bidding war, right? They, They sold this community for $32 million. They had over 20 bids, all cash. And I'm thinking to myself, why would DR Horton ever build an individual home again, at least in the short term? Why don't they just rinse and repeat? And if they do that, what does it mean for poor mom and mop, mom and pop buying their first home. It's it's kind of scary to think about. But again, Dr. Horton is a for-profit entity and, and maybe should do this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, and I started my career in single-family homes. I was building ninety uh, percent of what I built were uh, short-term vacation rentals. You know, summer mm-hmm. vacation rentals. So uh, different market. But yeah, this model has been something that that has been in process for the last number of years at different levels and there's different people doing them at different levels. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So when they, when you do something like that with what they're doing, you have some efficiencies as a developer, as a builder, you have more efficiencies in the building something like that exactly. than you do as the owner of something like that. Mm-hmm. So the cash flow inefficiencies aren't, you know, as great as the uh, profitability efficiencies when you're building a community like that, because you can just set up a production facility. Just like when I started in the industry in California, we were building these huge subdivisions. We had our own trust plant, our own floor joist plant. You had crews and that's all they did was lay out floor joists. Crews that did nothing but roof trusses and sheathing. Crews that did nothing but the walls. So you can productionize and, and you know, uh, assembly line a subdivision like that and really knock that thing out and reduce your cost. Plus you don't pay, you're not paying commissions to exactly. uh, brokers, you know, in each sale, you're not dealing with change orders. You're not dealing with customers. You're not dealing with all the things, you know, when you're building one-offs or when, you know, 
I mean, those guys deliver, you know, tens of thousands of units a year to, you know, in production building. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's much more efficient, much more profitable, you know, depending on what they're building. If it's building for rent, you're not putting a lot of the custom features in that you're doing for exactly. you know, yeah. the other homes. So yeah, it, it can make a lot of sense. Is it going to affect or impact the resale market for the average home buyer? I don't think so. There's not enough yet mm-hmm. to make a dent or to even affect that at all. But it is interesting because there seems to be more of a trend for a lot of people into, you know, renting versus owning. Mm-hmm. But then there's still a lot of people that want to own because, you know, you see what's going on out there. Yeah, it's it's this this is a game changer. I think what what was Invitation Homes and America Homes for Rent proved after the Great Recession is that, yes, if you get scale, you can turn single family homes into an asset that is bundled up and, and managed or sold to pension funds and all of that. But I'm going back to the builders, right? Every cycle teaches us something. And this cycle right now, what I'm, I guess, both excited about and afraid of, if that makes sense, is if, if I was DR Horton or Lennar or Toll Brothers and I knew there, because again, right? 20, 20 plus bids, one winner. That means there's mm-hmm. 19 other bidders looking for that asset. That's kind of a signal, right? And again, they get to reduce their costs because again, a build for rent community doesn't offer the variability. You don't have to pay commissions. There's just, their cost is lower. And oh, by the way, they're selling them for higher prices. I, I In my head, I'm going, why would they ever build an individual house again? Like go all in until the, until all the buyers are satisfied. I mean, I'm just, I'm like, well, and we already know that we're not building enough homes already for the people that want Mm -hmm. them. So then the other thought is, okay, if they just pull 20% of their talent to go build for rent, what does that do for everybody else? I mean, prices just could explode higher if you kind of play these dominoes out. It's kind of frightening to me. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see. I mean, that's what I did. You know, my business model, I started out, you know, building spec houses and I built a couple of homes for people, but I quit doing that because they're so inefficient and they're yeah. aggravating. And I, you know, so most of my career I've just built, you know, spec product. So um, and just for people listening, so the difference between a track house, housing development, a custom home, a spec house you know, track housing, spec houses, custom homes are all kind of the same thing. The main difference is when you're building custom, you're building for somebody. It's not necessarily the level of finish. It means you're building a custom product for somebody. It could be any level, a track house subdivision or a spec house, you're building on speculation, you're going to sell. Track housing is just usually more production style where you're building pretty much all the same houses over and over and over. So a lot of people don't understand the differences, but, um, for me, it made a lot more sense to build my own product. And, you know, it does for a lot of people versus building for somebody because it is a different business model. It's not as profitable. and It's a lot more aggravating. Yeah. So I just, I know, at least I don't know anybody at the senior levels at any of these builders, you may know them in your network, but let's just pretend you're one of those people, those suits, right? You're one of those, one of those people in the big old mahogany room and all of that. And you're looking at this example from Conroy, Texas, which you probably got done faster because you removed variability. Mm-hmm you created an asset that had 20 builders that, oh, by the way, you know, you, you made 50% more money on in an environment where lumber is already going up and all these other things are making the individual home less profitable. I mean, at what point do they go, you know what? We pivot. I mean, it, it's, there's gotta be some point where they go, let's stop the silliness. Let's go satisfy that demand over there. 
which oh by the way they're they're a public company so their stockholders are really or stakeholders are the ones they got to take care of i mean they have to be asking this question right they can't just look at that example and go we don't want to do that they have to be thinking well about it, right? i'm sure it's a business model that can be easily added to the queue of what they're doing because again mm -hmm. it's a small thing i mean it's 100 homes that's nothing those guys are delivering 14 to you know, 20,000 units a year. So a hundred mm -hmm. home subdivision is really nothing for a builder like that. So that, that might be one little thing to add to the queue. The big thing is going to be land. And then the next thing is going to be, you know, renters. Are there enough renters for the product where mm -hmm. it makes sense? Is there enough land? So there's some questions there to scale that, that need to be answered in, in terms of, of that equation, but on the profitability point. So what builders are doing now, here's a thing that you may not be aware of that's mm -hmm. starting to pop up here lately with all the activity and competition for housing that's going on, a lot of builders have in their contracts escalation clauses. So as the prices go up, they can put that back on the customer. So if you sign a contract in a subdivision for a house to be built, you are going to pay for any price increases after you sign that contract. The other thing is a lot of builders are putting in there that they have the ability to cancel your contract for any reason at any time. And we're hearing that people are getting their contracts canceled because the prices of the houses are going up. Every time they sell one, they can sell another one for more. So they're canceling people's contracts and say, hey, if you want to pay 50 grand more, you can stay in the deal. Otherwise, I got somebody else who will. So that's a real thing that's going on out there right now. So the builders are not eating uh, the cost increases. They're passing along to people. And, you know, these are the things that that precede a bubble collapse. So, you know, those are the things we got to watch out for. You know, we're seeing some serious inflation in the housing market, resale, as well as new construction. That's it's just not sustainable. Yeah, this, these are signs or signals or breadcrumbs or whatever you want to call them that unnatural things are happening. And, and like you said, these are signs that the bubble is getting bigger. Uh, you know, bubbles getting bigger. You or I don't know how big it will get. We just know at some point it will pop uh, and and you know, that behavior will change. Yeah. I've heard yeah. recently. But it makes sense because the, you know, invitation homes and ovation homes and those guys, their business model, like Warren Buffett said, Hey, if I could find out, if I could figure out a way to efficiently buy every house that I could buy, I would do it. Yeah. So, you know, they figured it out. I don't know if he's invested in any of these or not, but you know, that's yeah. what he said a number of years ago after 2009. I remember. Yeah. So several companies were created and they were buying, you know, existing homes uh, because there were so many of them. <clears throat> so now there's no inventory. So what do you do? You go create it and you build. Yeah. The problem is land and the entitlement process. That's your only two issues that you're facing. Entitlement process is getting the permits and developing the property to build, going through the entitlement so you have the, the ability to build and then getting it done. It's such a slow pace. Yeah. A lot of builders don't want to take that risk you know, of doing that because everything could change a year from now. And it can literally take you a year from the time you sign a contract on a raw piece of dirt just to get it approved, much less break ground and put the you know, roads and streets and utilities in. So mm -hmm. you could be, you know, 18 months to two years before breaking ground on your first unit. Yeah. I think something is pretty clear in this market, at least for the next, I don't know, year to 18 months. I think we're going to hear more about this build for rent community. It's a mm -hmm. proven model. And I always go back to the 20 offers, right? There's 19 people that didn't get what they wanted. Uh, you know, so, you know, in my simple mind, that's a signal, right? There's, there's, there's an appetite. And the other thing I think it is interesting is these buyers, this is, and we'll talk about this probably in episode number two, uh, what, what we have now proven is single family homes can be an asset, right? It's an asset mm -hmm. class where before it was too diverse, like Warren Buffett said, they have to 
if, if I could Scattered, do it all together. Yeah, yeah inefficient. Just, yeah. But now we're proving there's a way to do it, right? Go go enlist a builder to build 124. And who's to say it's not a thousand homes next time, right? 124 is just this example. Mm -hmm. uh, it's now an asset class. Uh, and what we're seeing is these deep pockets are moving away from apartments, right? Because cap rates got so compressed. And there's too many of them. And there are too many, and there are too many coming online, and the and the appetite from the renters is not what it was last year, and blah 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 blah. And right now, there's there's margin to be made, right? A cap rate in some urban areas are under four, and you know they're getting single family cap rates in sevens and eights. So you know, of course, that's where the deep pockets yeah. are going to go, right? It makes a lot of sense, and you know, it's been done in the in the short term rental you know industry for a number of years. We've been building communities of short term rentals for a long time, and um, there are and have been some communities of rentals, mostly an age restricted product that you, mm -hmm. you you would see that a lot. And now it's it's you know mass. What's interesting to me is I wonder if we will become at some point a renter nation where it just doesn't make sense to own anymore. Yeah, um, you know, as an individual because you know that's the one thing so there's so liquidity is the issue out there right now there's capital chasing deals and looking for homes everywhere and that's why they're going into this so they finally figured out well, you know at these rates it doesn't make sense to be the mortgage more mortgageor you know it makes more sense to just own it yeah and I just totally own agree. the asset and just get that rent yeah and we're going to talk about renter nation being one of the unintended outcomes of this in in episode number three that's that's definitely where i want episode number three to go because that's yeah i will leave that discussion for there uh thank you for having this discussion with me i just think it's a logical choice i mean as long as you realize that a builder is a for-profit entity and as long as they can build and make more margin over here they should go over there and then you know by the way they can transition back when the margins not double so yeah. I, I think it's interesting times ahead. So thank you very much for your time, Greg. Yep. Yeah.